Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, hello, and welcome to the DC Comics Dude podcast. It's episode 38. Um, we're quite thin on the ground in terms of uh, quantity of reporters today, but not in terms of quality, because with me, I have the other member of the dysfunctional duo. It's Fat Man and Single, the fake crusaders, Seth Singleton. How the devil are you, my friend? Oh, I would always call it Slim Man and Sling Man myself. <laughs> Sometimes I just feel you a bit clearly slim. have not mm. seen me. Taters. Mm, taters. <laughs> uh, and, and brother, I, I love you, and that's why I feel like I'm the one to say last week was 38, this is 39. I love you. Oh, blimey. It's um, all right. <laughs> it's because the, the news list that we've been given says 38 at the top of it. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it was a trick editor, that was our fault. So here we go. DC Comics News episode number 39 with the fake crusaders, fat man and single. Uh, <laughs> so let's uh, move past that. And we'll start with breaking news. <laughs> Yes, indeed. Yeah, break break dancing news. Um, this is uh, quite exciting. Um, more news on the not sequel, but not quite reboot Suicide Squad movie. And a couple of cast uh, additions, including a possible confirmation that we now have at least the voice of King Shark with Steve G joining James Gunn's Suicide Squad gang. Now, obviously, uh, King Shark, with the absence of Killer Croc, is a vital part of the film and a very talented comedic actor joining the, the crew. So what did you think about this news, my brother? Well, the biggest problem I have is that when they reference what his most recent work was, which was uh, his involvement on uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 2. There are so many voices in that. Um, I really had difficulty trying to nail down exactly who Geff was. I think I might know who it is, but I really can't say for sure. <clears throat> and right. uh, and that's the trouble when there's a voice actor as well, isn't it? When you can't actually pick a face. Right. It's hard. But you can hear that voice and you just sort of mm. know you can place it. Um, I do love his comedic pedigree. I mean, clearly, experience working on MTV comedy reality, uh, you know, a lot of experience with different products, whether it's Lifetime, NBC. I love that he worked with Sarah Silverman. So I feel that that experience is going to lend to uh, what he can bring to voice acting. And now it just makes me think to what degree this voice is going to play a role in this, I guess now apparently CGI King Shark. You know, we've been wondering to what degree the CGI is going to be used or or how King Shark's going to appear on screen. And I feel that with this recognition that he's the voiceover to King Shark, that we're clearly going to be getting, you know, a computer generated figure. So that's an interesting sort of little revelation that comes out of this for me as well. Just that idea. Uh, what was your take on it, Steve? Exactly the same. When you've got a, someone whose uh, resume is as impressive as that and Sarah Silverman, um, that, that woman, sometimes I just have to look at her and I'm laughing. So <laughs> to have someone with that kind of pedigree, that kind of background. And I've often said that comedy actors and stand-up comedians, because they've got to have that knack for timing 
and that knack for delivering a punchline or delivering a line. I mean, I mean, look at the background. Some of the greatest actors in cinema have come from a comedy background, from your Dan Aykroyd. So your Michael Keaton, who was a stand-up comic and Saturday Night Live performer before he took on the serious acting roles. Uh, and even the legendary Tom Hanks, all comedians who, who turned to acting. And fair enough, it's only going to be a voice role. But um, as I said, there are some iconic voices out there, Kevin Conroy, uh, Mark Hamill, who's be- gone from Luke Skywalker in live action to being the ultimate Joker. So this is great news for me. As far as I'm concerned, anyone with that kind of talent pedigree, like you said, that resume. Yeah, I'm happy. As long as the CGI is above Steppenwolf level, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> Sadly, I do. And and if that's the bar we're comparing against, I, I have faith based if only on Rocket Raccoon and Groot, who yeah. I felt, you know, demonstrated a higher degree of quality and, and skill. And if they can render King Shark in the same way, well, then I'm not going to be worried at all. But, uh, and, you know, yeah, you got to totally. do it first. <laughs> totally. And I've been quite vocal in the past about the uh, quality of CGI in some of the TV, DC TV we've watched. But... um. King Shark in Flash, especially in the most recent season, was actually done pretty darned well. And I really even like if it's at that, yeah, yeah, even if they keep it to that level with a quality voice actor adding some nuance, if if they can do or capture the kind of alchemy that uh, Andy Serkis brought to Gollum with Steve Agee and King Shark, hey, mm. you know, you can't argue with that. Well, yeah, I think Circus really kind of showed us exactly what's capable. His Gollum will go down, I think, is one of those examples of just what the beginning of the possibility was. And clearly, we we know we can do that much, if not more. We just have to keep reaching for it, right? <laughs> That's the bar, isn't it? Exactly. Um, so I'm really curious to see how these, uh, you know, things end up meshing together if we get that sort of seamless quality that we've seen done so well in the examples we just provided uh we're gonna have a really great time and that's the only thing sort of left although i am curious at this last little bit of news that was in the article about the table read coming up on september 11th it's been something of a position for some studios to release that on youtube at some point and i wonder if that might be a nice little uh marketing tool before we actually get a chance to see a trailer, to maybe hear this guy's voice during one of those table reads, that could be an interesting cue as to what we might be expecting or anticipating. As long as it's a fairly spoiler-free table read, uh, and one that actually lets us find out who in the name of Zeus's area uh, Mr. Idris Elba's playing. <laughs> because well, I need some answers. <laughs> The great mystery. Yeah, I have faith that if it's done by the studio, you know, and it's done in, in, a, in an attempt to just sort of generate fan interest, because when they do do these table reads, it can be really interesting. I, I know uh, there was one that was, yeah, I don't know if you saw that legendary one with the Game of Thrones actor after it was revealed that he was going to be killed off. And uh, just the sort of like, you know, amazing uh, physical uh, response yeah. that you from that read and i was like mm. wow that that wow that's got to be a tough moment um 
Yeah, and it also reminds me of one of my favorite in uh, the a show I love, The West Wing, where they uh, they lost uh, one of the characters at the end of the season, or I think at the midseason break. And when it was announced, it was during the read, and one of the other actors looked over and said, I'm so sorry, I had no idea. Like, they couldn't even <laughs> check their ability to sense, emotionally yeah. just look over and say, I'm so sorry, as as you know, as though it's happening right in the moment. And uh, anyways, with those reads, I feel like there's a lot we can learn without it being a spoiler situation. And yes. still, that would be the closest I could get to maybe get a sense for who this voice is and how it's going to inform me about King Shark. Good call. And it's also exciting because if they've got a table read, that means complete script. That means this thing is happening and that is concrete which which as you know is a a, a relatively ongoing subject on these podcasts but we want <laughs> a challenge <laughs> news um which sadly um is is brings us into the next piece of suicide squad news where again according to a new report uh, actor flula borg has also joined the cast of suicide squad but who he's playing is um well, no one knows. So again, um, we've, we've gone from something fairly positive and solid to something that, uh, hey, this dude um, who did that may be doing this. But um, hey, you know, hey, again, decent pedigree. He's worked on some good films. What do you think about um, Captain Picard's nemesis from the cuboid? Well, no, sorry, completely different Borg. What do you think about Flula Borgs joining the Suicide Squad <laughs> cast, my friend? Well, clearly resistance is futile and I surrender, um, but I, I have no other <laughs> response simply because I'm not, not as familiar with, uh, clearly again with the pedigree, you know, I feel like if you're a DJ, you have to have that ability to engage, be personable, and also recognize timing as well as with Pitch Perfect 2, which is one of those movies that relies so much as its predecessor did on comedic timing it was one of the strengths behind it um and clearly he's got some great voice experience too i can't you know place him so it's more of a curiosity for me more than anything about maybe this is somebody's sort of breakthrough moment you know the chance we actually get to see them uh become a character that we'll recognize them for and then see them grow out of into whatever their caliber of actor they are actually is um but the neat thing about this is you know there's always that opportunity to catch an undiscovered voice i mean five to eight years ago aquafina was not the name that she is and now very potentially, true what's that very true yeah so flula borg this could be the moment when we change everything about the uh expectation when someone hears the name borg that, that that whole Swedish or Android cyborg creature from the future world will be extinguished and will be replaced by, well, going by the photo from the uh, report that we've been given for this story, he, he's born to play either a villain with that beard or if you shave him by the looks of that jawline, an absolute hero. So um, whoever he's going to play, yeah, I'm down. I, I, I'm invested. I could I could watch it. So. Bring it on. Absolutely Agreed. bring it on. Agreed. And even maybe a comedic twist to that, too, given it's Suicide Squad. Just a little bit of, you know, tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. And we've already said that 
comedy actors are often the finest. So and I is. forgot my absolute hero of all time, Mr. Robin Williams. Um, hey, you put that name in there and you just have to think, well, yeah, fair enough. These two guys know what they're talking about. Really waiting for a show. <laughs> Absolutely. And sticking with movies and comedy-ish, um, lots of Joker news coming out this week. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. With everything I read about this film, I'm just getting more and more excited. And while it may trim down the amount of people coming to see this, the fact that Joker is getting an R rating and this is confirmed actually makes me happy. Seth, what do you think about this piece of news? I think we will really get to see one of the most honest portrayals of the Joker ever. Simply because I believe up until this point, what we've seen, while dark, while powerful, has also been limited by the rating that was given to the movie that versions of Joker have appeared in. This will be the first time for an R rating. And also in one that's designed to reveal to us just how a person became the Joker, how Joaquin Phoenix's character became the Joker. Clearly, it's going to require some really dark places, uh, as the reasons listed include strong, bloody violence, disturbing behavior, language, and brief sexual images. And... If if there's even a grain of truth to some of those, you know, wildly sporadic rumors that constantly float about about what the content might be, even to understand just who the Joker, what he had to go through to become who the Joker is now and why he's the most feared villain, I believe, in the DC universe Um, (laughs) and without question, I I really think we're going to have to understand and experience uh, some really tragic and most likely very disturbing ideas. And in order to tell that story truthfully and without sort of like leaving things on the cutting room floor, this is the rating that we need. And it's the rating that I think also establishes that this is content that's required for adults. You have to have that childhood understanding of the Joker before you can experience what this adult version is like and i think it's a clear way of making sure that this content is for adult eyes only absolutely yeah my my thoughts exactly i couldn't agree more uh, plus the fact though that uh, the few negative reactions i've had to this film is but oh they're showing how he becomes a joker but in the comics you never really find out it's only hint at that but i honestly see this as yet another possible interpretation of that one bad day and it goes back to the line um from alan moore's immortal killing joke is sometimes i remember it one way sometimes another if i'm going to have a past history i prefer it to be multiple choice i will take this as one of those choices and just the fact that it's an actor of joaquin phoenix's caliber the fact that it's not going to have that glass ceiling that limitation of a PG or PG-13 rating that he can cut loose and try to show an audience what a descent into madness looks like. For me, it's only a plus. It can only be a positive thing. So, yeah. I, do, do, do you agree with, with that aspect? Oh, of without, it? without question. In fact, uh, what I really enjoy is that in many ways, this is kind of echoing 
the way that Heath Ledger approached that idea where when he presented Joker in each version that he would tell his quote unquote origin and go. talk about how he got his scars, there was always a different story. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we can take it all the way back to earlier forms of literature, allow me to quote Walt Whitman. I can say yes. multitudes. I contradict myself. Well, therefore, I do contradict myself. I contain multitudes. There's more than just one version of it. And who's to say which version of it is the one that really led to it? Maybe they all did. Maybe I just remember it the way I want to each time I tell it. A- any of them is just as disturbing as the concrete reality. And, mm-hmm. I, and I think when it comes to such a terrifying figure as the Joker, um, this is going to be just as terrifying, if not more so, and just as informative, if not more so, as, as all the versions we've experienced up until this point. So, yeah, without reason or without reason to question, I, I can wholly agree with what you're saying. Definitely. And what about that final possibility where every single version he's told you is a complete lie because the truth is darker still? Um, yes. Something I will leave <laughs> for our listeners to slowly digest as we move on to the brilliant news as well, that it's premiering him at the Venice, Venice Film Festival. It's going to then be screened at the Toronto International Film Festival, but it's just been announced this past weekend, uh, actually yesterday, in fact. Joker will screen at the New York Film Fest this fall as well. Now that, again, New York Film Fest, hugely famed and renowned for edgier, darker, more real films. Again, it's not like your... uh, San Diego Comic-Cons, which is based on, on, on what you and I love, it's it's more film films, if, if that's even a word. So what do you think about that? Well, I definitely think that the uh, choice after the uh, international, the, the Venice and then the, uh, mm-hmm. the Toronto, the choice by having it in New York, yes, it is a, a very edgy festival. I do feel that it's something that's more inclusive of uh, the artistic uh, yes. approaches to film, which generally will push beyond the accepted norms, especially when it comes to things like uh, adult or disturbing subject or behavior, as well as darker themes, darker moods, and also addressing some of those underlying underground subjects that fall into the taboo or the not not considered appropriate for public or polite talk. And because of that, it allows it to have a, a viewing audience that's going to accept it in that way. And I think that by uh, recognizing what that audience can say about it can really help set the tone. Whereas if you were to choose somewhere that wasn't going to provide that same sort of viewpoint, you might get a really shock and awe interpretation. And that can really diminish, actually, the quality of the project. So I think this is a really smart, very strategic. Whoever was planning how these uh, viewings and schedulings would line up clearly had a lot of this in mind because this is, this is a very calculated move and, and I believe one that should pay off in dividends. I hope what, what was your take on it, Steve? The exact same. This is clever, clever production direction marketing. It's just genius. Since the announcement of the Venice film festival, I thought, Whoa, this film is not your standard popcorn fodder comic book fare. 
and Toronto added on top. And now this and the R rating news all coming at the same time just cements that and, and makes it more exciting for adult audiences. So while everyone says, oh, comic books are for kids, whatever, I say, well, really, um, everyone goes on about Deadpool and R rating. Blade did it over a decade ago. And there's so much more room for comic book movies to grow up with the audience. And there's always room for vintage, classic, brilliant entertainment like Wonder Woman, like Aquaman, like Shazam. But we also need to have a bit more variety because I love the Marvel movies. Don't get me wrong. But the whole ethos of family friendly and 25 movies on. And I'm honestly getting a little bit of possibly comic book overload i never thought i'd ever say those words in my entire life so having something different is exciting that that's the way i look at this yeah i I agree and actually you know when we were talking about this right now you were just asking me at the end of our last story what i thought about the idea of the different multiverses or the one the the multi versions of the origin or the uh the Mm -hmm. one bad day theory you know, I also feel that by presenting this at different, you know, events like Toronto, Venice and New York, you have the opportunity to also suggest that even this isn't the true version, that at some point he could say, you know what, maybe none of these are real. Maybe each time I tell this story, it's so that I can give you a reason for you to hang your hat on, because maybe I just woke up one day and decided this is what I wanted. But trying to convince you of that is scarier than just telling you a bad story, you know, and I feel like in an art community uh, setting with a couple of these different sort of festivals to, you know, encourage and sort of give that idea some kindling to burn and grow. You could really present even something as challenging as that and have it say, this is what you were thinking it was going to be. And it went to all the places you knew it could. Um, So, you know, I really feel like... uh, just to echo what you were saying about all the ways this can really support it. Uh, this is a brilliant selection, you know, and a great place for it to be seen and a great audience in which to view it. I mean, cause it's, it's fascinating that Joker throughout his history and his changes in personality from the safe years of the fifties, when everything was heavily censored and you went from being a murderer to a clown where right. they literally said, well, he's anarchy. He's chaos, he's insanity. You can't reason with him. You can't explain why he does what he does because he doesn't know himself. If for one day that it turns out, he says, well, actually, no, I'm not insane at all. I'm doing this because I like it. And he's not just crazy or uh, unknowable. He's just plain evil. But we'll never know because of that whole ethos of, well, sometimes I remember it one way, sometimes another. And that with this whole ethos of the R rating and the outlets where this film is first being shown to audiences is just brilliant so yeah totally agree with you and obviously with more news that Todd Phillips has said he would not be close to a sequel um, just means that this is one character one scenario that could have real legs and another completely different avenue the DC universe rather than have it all tied to one universe which is slowly starting to get tired with certain films that we've got several different universes and different ways of looking at things a possible sequel again has already got me excited i haven't seen the first one what do you think of that news from todd phillips 
Well, I love the idea of knowing what you have and after doing it or after reaching a place with it that you can say, you know, this isn't the end of our story. That's always a very exciting moment because it means that you've reached a certain place with a character that you can see just where their story can open up to. And until you sort of reach that place, you're just building this story for the character. And that recognition suggests a lot of things. I mean, one, I love the idea that they're like, well, you know, if he's willing to do it, I'm willing to do it. And I think we could think of something pretty cool says to me, you've already thought of something pretty cool. You're just playing it cool by saying we could just come up with something. Um, And also the idea that they're talking about an Elseworlds story. So Batman might never need to show up this movie, the next movie, So who could show up? Because you could really do some interesting things here. You could take this story down a different route and bring in other characters who they've existed in Gotham before, right? I mean, there there have been other characters, and not only that, but Joker, he wasn't always just Gotham. I mean, he's kind of gotten around. (laughs) he's 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 made a point of yeah he's made a point of you know every once in a while just messing with another hero because hey why not so i really feel that that by considering that possibility and knowing that there's some characters in the elseworlds uh universe that could be brought into this in, in a really interesting twist without taking it too far down the superhero route but maybe giving it something like a detective story without i don't know i really feel that you could you could really undo a can of worms and really start playing with some fun possibilities um what do you think steve no the exact same the exact same there are no limitations with a character like this I mean, imagine a world where a batman never came to be imagine a world as chaotic and as crazy where this character is the one who sets the rules where uh, a criminal empire is run by him with no limitations and the fact that like you said in the article todd phillips said oh i've got some crazy ideas for this um i bet you do and i bet you (laughs) knew and had these ideas before the cameras started rolling on the first movie and again joaquin phoenix uh in the lead this could this could have more legs than the millipede and could run forever. So, yeah, I'm happy with that. Um, I'm just hope that this woman is up to the heights because if it does, then I'm up for a sequel, definitely. Yeah, and the the you the sort of you know world you just described. I mean, the one thing we always know is just like when a great hero rises, a great evil will rise to face it. Well, when a great evil rises. We could see the birth of a new hero or at least a new hero to the DC film uh, or movie universe. And that's an exciting opportunity to consider for a sequel to bring about as well. Um, Having a villain to bring about a hero. That's a story I'd watch more than once. Absolutely. And it could run and run and run. And (laughs) as if by magic and speaking of running and running and running and running, Ezra Miller absolutely confirms he's making the Flash movie. Please, Lord, let this be true, because despite whatever other things we could say about the Justice League movie, 
Um, I thought Ezra Miller was was great. His innocence, his humour, his wide-eyed wonder, his fanboyism towards Batman and Superman was was one of my favourite things about that film. So, absolutely confirmed. What do you think of this one? I think it's great to know that he's attached. There had been some development going on that suggested the movie was moving forward, but we were all sort of put on notice at one point with some stories back, I want to feel like around January or February, that even as he was teaming up with uh, Grant Morrison, that his contract was coming to an end. And that really created a great deal of uncertainty. So for him to make that sort of confirmation, I think is a really big deal. Um, it, it echoes for me a recent announcement about uh, Ewan McGregor announcing he's going to be doing the Obi-Wan project. And he came out so you know, live. Yeah, exactly. And the fact that I think it, it really sort of spoke a lot to what he knew fans would recognize when he came out on stage live in front of everyone and said, this is what I'm doing. And I'm the one telling you I'm doing it. And when the actor is doing that and they're putting their full faith and confidence in what they believe is their reputation for fans, then that gives me a lot to uh, be positive about. I also agree that Ezra Miller was such an enjoyable flash. I I thought his heart, I thought his humor, and I thought that they did a great job of also making him vulnerable. I Mm -hmm. really don't love the versions of Flash where he's portrayed as, you know, uh, childish or immature, sex crazed or things like that. When in so many ways, I mean, with all of that speed, it's it's almost like giving someone immense power without right. the sort of understanding that goes with it. And with that, it's going to be like a, uh, a vulnerability as far as like confidence and self-assurance. And I thought Ezra really captured that, uh, whether it's the statement of, you know, I, I need friends or the fact that he's like, I don't fight. I run around. I push people at fast speed. <laughs> run you know? away. <laughs> um, and I, yeah. And I also love that it echoes back to that great line from Identity Crisis. I, I feel like it's attributed to uh, Green Arrow. It's like, yeah, you know, teams are great. Titans bring you together. But the Justice League, the league teaches you how to fight. And I always thought that was just a, a beautiful line to attribute to. And, and I th- Yeah, I thought they really sort of brought that out, you know, by showing Ezra sort of growing. You know, and here's the other thing, and I'm just curious to get your feedback on this, too. Remember that when we saw Batman versus Superman and and the sort of first introduction, it's him sort of flashing through in this lightning dream moment and sending a message. Right. So who's to say that the flash we saw in Batman, Superman and in Justice League is the same flash. That could have been a flash from another multiverse. We we don't really know. So. Possible possibility it's not going to happen now so many ways right so we could really see a flash from well anywhere and yeah. it doesn't have to be connected to any of those you know previous examples or it could reference them perfectly in just a sort of way that allows them to be relevant and yet also not impede the story um you know what were your takes on a lot of this steve exactly the same and with andy machete directing exciting stuff because we know that this guy can make a film that can deliver in terms of character and um, in terms of visual greatness too so if Ezra's on board I've really liked what I've seen with him uh, with Machete as a director we know that the film's going to look great too so yeah bring it on on. I'm looking forward 
Yeah, very much so. And, and with Flash heavily in our in our minds, we'll take a little break there because that's the end of our movie news. So what we're going to do is we're going to go away to listen to some ads which will fortify us, educate us, and help keep the lights switched on. And we'll be back momentarily. Hey there, everybody. This is Josh Rayner, Editor-in-Chief of DC Comics News. Are you planning on heading to Wizard World Comic Con sometime this year? Well, we have a great deal for you. If you are planning to do so, you can get 10% off your ticket purchase by using the code DCNEWS at checkout. That's D-C-N-E-W-S at checkout to save 10% off your tickets for Wizard World. And that's for any city that, uh, that they will be doing. So make sure you head over to www.wizardworld.com tickets and use the code DCNEWS for 10% off. Back to you guys. And quick as a flash, we have returned from our ad break and to news of a friend of the flash, the Atom, or Brandon Routh and his lady wife, who uh, plays uh, Nora Dark in Legends of Tomorrow, um, Courtney Ford, who are sadly going to be departing the show. And they're two characters I adore, two actors I'm a huge fan of. But it seems that their story is coming to a close. Seth, what do you make of this news? Well, I really enjoyed watching Nora's character grow from her sort of rough introduction to becoming an integral member of the team. And also the way that she captured, uh, you know, our Ray Palmer's heart. Um, they've really been a cute couple and it's been a lot of fun to watch them together. Um, I really struggle to to think of a more pleasant way to, to send them off. It, it looks like from the description, um, characters leave the Wave Rider, but it's never really goodbye. So hopefully we get a chance to see, you know, more of them. Um, but everything that they've brought has been something that I'm going to remember as part of the great memory that goes with Legends of Tomorrow. What about you, Steve? How, how did you take this news? I'm actually quite upset. Um, I'm, I'm not going to lie, because I've followed all the Arrow shows. I watch each and every one of them weekly. And when Courtney Ford came into the show, I was a fan of hers because she played a fantastic character on another CW show, Supernatural, where she was the mother of um, one of the main characters who, who joins the team in Lucifer's Son. And she was just a wonderful, wonderful character. And then I saw her as this evil, dark witch daughter of Damien Dark in uh, Legends of Tomorrow. I thought, wow, this, this lady is a, a terrific actor, really, really good. And I found out then, obviously, she was married to Brandon Routh. And then they developed the whole romance between the two of them. And their on-stream chemistry, obviously, is brilliant. And they're both great actors. But I love Brandon Routh as Ray Palmer and his unwavering optimism and positivity and again his comedic timing and while people may still say whatever they want about his superman i thought he was great as superman as clark kent whatever else happened in that film i'm really gonna miss him and i'm really gonna miss her and i'm kind of sad but they're pros and i'm sure they're gonna get a ton of work going forward but i am actually a little bit sad um because i love these characters but 
hey, you know, um, at least Legends of Tomorrow is going to carry on. We're losing Arrow this season, so mm. got to take uh, the rough with a smooth and see a silver lining, I guess. Yeah, and I could always sort of just take this opportunity to consider what new characters will be joining the team. Um, mm-hmm. I've always looked for a possibility of maybe getting Kid Flash back on. I felt oh, like it yeah. was unfortunate to lose him the way we did with Flash. And given what we were able to see with Constantine, this could be a place where we could either bring back Kid Flash, we could bring back, uh, you know, Hawkman, um, we could bring back all sorts of different and Shiera. Um, we could really sort of play with the, the roster of characters who maybe had some short appearances and now Legends of Tomorrow could be a way of, of reintroducing them to fans, bringing their storyline up to date, maybe either including them with the team or creating a launch for their own series, which, as we've understood, Constantine should be getting his own again soon. And I credit a lot of that to his resurgence and reappearance on Legends of Tomorrow. Totally agree with you. And um, DC does have one or two thousand characters they could bring up <laughs> have joined the team. So it's not like they're short of a few uh, brilliant comic creations. And, and amongst them is obviously the legendary Black Canary or mm. in the Arrowverse, as there have been several um, the possibility of Katie Cassidy Rogers pitching a Birds of Prey show to replace um, Arrow in the lineup is very exciting news because she's going to direct an episode in the final season of Arrow. She's been there from day one. Uh, talented actor. Um, if there's a female-led, female team of characters r- having their own show, I'm in. Totally. What do you think? I think it's a great idea. I think that experience behind the camera only adds to the sort of understanding you would want when you're building a pitch like this. And also to the ability to sort of recognize what you see through a lens that you can then share with someone and that you can offer up about what you've been understanding about the process, what you're now able to do when you engage in the process, and then what you can say about what you want to make it about, which uh, is a really great team i think it would be a really smart move to have a birds of prey show to echo the fact that we're going to be getting um a great appearance by the birds of prey with harlequin coming up soon in on the big screen and also to you know just provide some of the depth that you can't always capture in a single film and the scope that you can get from a great tv show that has an actor who's saying hi I know this character. Would you like to see examples? Would you like to see my film list? Would you like to see, you know, my uh, highlight reel? Because I've got one. I'm good at this. Not only do I know this character, but I know how to team this character with other great characters to tell this story. This is why Birds of Prey works. And what else do I need to convince you of? So I really think that she's the best one to make this argument. Um, I heard some yeses from you, my friend, so I'm going to let you chime in. Where are your yeses and uh, <laughs> where are we agreeing and where are we cheerleading each other? Well, to underline what you said, this is an actor who knows this character inside out because she's played various different aspects of Laurel Lance, Black Canary, Black Siren, evil, good, alcoholic, DA, hero, um, wreck jilted girlfriend 
this is a talented actor who's breaking into directing and if she pitches a show to me i'd listen um again huge pedigree i i started watching her on again supernatural she played a fantastic character um on that show and with the movie coming out like you said and the brand new comic book series having a tv show of strong female characters which is something no other comic book universe can hold a handle to compared to dc yeah sign me up um we need that show i mean i know we're bringing in batwoman but we'll talk about that a little bit more later so yeah i'm invested i, I would watch a birds of prey show i love sarah i love dinah i love laurel yeah absolutely <laughs> sign Chad. us up sign us up right away and uh on the news of batwoman front um a couple of batwoman related items this week sam littlefield um in a recurring role in alice's gang has been cast for the show and we'll talk about the the new trailer with alice a little bit later on um because that that made me very happy but again another talented actor with some a comedy background and the wonderland gang and the fact that this version of alice seems to have a little bit of a mad hatter vibe going on really really makes me happy and that makes them interesting and slightly different to the comic book version what do you think about this bit of casting news my brother i'm really intrigued i do love the idea of opening this up and bringing in a mad hatter character yet you know clearly differentiating itself from the comic book by doing so um so I, I'm really curious to see how this version, you know, matches up with that idea. I I love the fact that, you know, the Wonderland gang is a fun concept already. Uh, just to sort of like, well, who's in the gang? Cheshire Cat? Come on, guys. Like, let's be honest. <laughs> it, it's it's Ooh. easy to go with that Mad Hatter sort of approach. Um, Tweedledee and Tweedledum, classic, you know, Batman villains who would be interesting to have, uh, you know, face off with, with, uh, Batwoman. Um, I, I'm intrigued by it overall, but more, I'm curious about your thoughts. Cause I know that you've been following the story of Kate Kane since, uh, Batman or Batwoman elegy since, uh, her story first appeared, uh, I believe if I'm quoting you correctly, it was in detective comics or was it in Batman? Well, it started off obviously in in fifty two, and then it led into Detective Comics, and then into uh, Batwoman's own series. But Elegy was actually printed in Detective Comics, not in Batwoman, and that's where we met Alice. Um, without giving too much away, because they have changed it for the TV, so I don't think I am. What happened was was when Kate was a child, her, it seemed that her mother and her identical twin sister were killed. But then years later, with the rise of the gangs in Gotham. Um, the it was like a, a, a bible of evil a bible of, of, of injustice and this group of um let's say mutated half animal half human creatures uh wanted to take over gotham and uh they were led by a figure who was never revealed and long comes batwoman in the pages of 52 then in the detective comics and she comes across the leader of, of this group of of terrorists crime lords villains and they're led by a woman called alice later red alice and in the ultimate tragedy kate discovers that alice is her twin sister beth and 
in the TV show, it seems that uh, Alice is actually her elder sister, again, presumed dead and, and returning. So she doesn't even know it herself until Alice reveals it to her. But from the trailer, which we're going to talk about in a moment, I am very excited because she's playing it dark. And that whole Lewis Carroll thing, because again, uh, people may say they don't know what Lewis Carroll was on when he was writing these stories. I don't particularly care because I love Alice in Wonderland and Alice in the Looking Glass. The books, not the cartoons. Uh, to have that kind of villain where you look at them and you think you really are bananas. Um, that's why I love the Joker. That just has me excited. So let's go straight in and go on to that trailer and the whole her standing behind Kate and Kate looks scared. And this is Batwoman who's virtually unflappable, almost more than her cousin, Bruce. That has me excited. What did you make of, of the trailer and uh, Kate Kane in that? Well, I really like the idea of suggesting right away from a villain that they know as much about the hero as the hero thinks they know about themselves. And also a recognition of, similar personality similar uh similar people really there's almost like that sense of kind recognizing kind uh when professionals recognize professionals at something when someone looks at something a certain way and someone else sees what you're doing and says i know what you're looking at because i'm doing the same thing and that is a way of getting inside kate kane's head i think that's a really smart move I'm intrigued because I even feel more informed about the trailer after hearing your description. My understanding of Batwoman was her appearance in 52, but after the the Book of Cain and the storyline involving Mannheim, it got a little confusing for me. And when she appeared later on, in um, when I saw her in some Batman stories as I was kind of catching up on Tom King's run, and it got a little nuts, nutty for me because I would find I would read to a certain point and then a storyline would jump to Nightwing or over to Detective and I'd have to catch back up. on. <laughs> so I, I had yeah, jumped around hot. a bit on her story. Um, so I, I really had a strong understanding of her introduction with uh, in 52. But through Rebirth, uh, through uh, New 52 and then into Rebirth, it got a little jumbled for me and I hadn't read her um, her title Aye. explicitly. So that helps inform things a lot for me. So Alice is a newer character for me. I love the fact that it's tied to the uh, Alice in Wonderland. I love yes. the concept that Luz Carroll plays with, with the idea of the mirror. And it's something that, uh, you know, I know you haven't had a chance to hear last week's episode, but we touched a bit on the idea of, of how important that is. And I had just mentioned, hey, you know, we've seen it as recent as The Matrix, the idea of through the mirror, through the looking glass, and also the choices of the the red pill, blue pill. So I, I love that this ability of this story that was written such a time ago, even if you want to point at all the different things that were used to tell these story, the images, and, and question how it was he came up with them, their ability to resonate to now says that well, the oddity was actually uh, a medium to get across this idea, which allows it to become relevant in all its interpretations, whether it's The Matrix or now in Batwoman. So really, uh, I love keeping that idea in mind when looking at Alice, because that lets me also keep in mind that she's gone through the looking glass. And when you do that, no one comes out 
the other side the same again. Um, there's a bit of warping that goes on. And also that if it's a mirror version of Kate Kane, then this is going to be a very warped version. And without having that sort of understanding of, of who she becomes as a, a gang leader and also uh, as a nemesis to Batwoman, I, I'm intrigued to discover that because I really feel that what you've informed me with, Steve, has really sort of set me up with a better understanding of my expectations and also just how far and what directions this story can go. Given all of your knowledge, what what did this trailer uh, mean for you? You know, just as much as the announcement of Sam Littlefield, how is all this informing your expectations? Because it's been your understanding of Batwoman that's helped inform me so much. I can only imagine how you're able to view these things and, and what you're taking away from it. I love what you said. The fact that this is a, a character who's so much more than a villain. I mean, the fact that as soon as you add the, the knowledge that this is Kate's sister and she's had that knowledge the whole time she's been away and losing her mind and becoming corrupt, but Kate doesn't. So this is a villain that knows the hero inside and out, but a hero who does not even know at this point that damn that that that's my sister that's someone i lost i've been mourning for and that's why i became a hero in the first place to try and stop that happening to stop what happened to my mother or maybe stepmother in this tv reality and my sister and you're telling me that i'm avenging someone who's actually trying to kill me who's actually been the enemy i've unwittingly been fighting this whole time and that whole concept just blew my mind in the comments because it was something brand new that this was a villain who was actually three or four steps ahead of the hero because she had every knowledge of, of who she was fighting and the hero was none the wiser and when Kate discovers who Alice is in the comics it's one of my favorite comic scenes in memory it's fantastic so please do pick up Obviously, you've got 52 already because you and I talk about that series a lot. Um, With good reason. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's fantastic. But pick up Elegy. I'm sure it must be on the DC Universe app, but pick, pick that up because it's literally got six or seven issues collected and you will become a Batwoman fan for life from that story onwards. And that leads into the whole story of uh, the drowned earth, the crying woman, and then World's Finest where Batwoman teams up with Wonder Woman. and Honestly, I know Batwoman hasn't been around long and she's already getting her detractors on the Internet because of the whole stupid backlash of uh, people who don't realize that Batwoman and Batgirl are completely different characters. And why have to change her? Why is she gay now? That's not the Batgirl I grew up with. It's not Batgirl, you idiots. This is Batwoman, a completely different character. And they are, apart from the fact that there's no Batman in this world, they seem to be being really faithful to what makes her who she is. So um, this casting, this trailer just has me more excited about one of my favorite new characters, though she's been around for over a decade now. You can hardly call her new. Um, yeah, exactly what you said. But readers, uh, listeners, Seth, pick up Batwoman Energy. You'll thank me for it later. I know I do it to you a lot, Seth. I'm so sorry. I've really inflicted so many things upon you. But <laughs> Brad and I cannot both be wrong. Brad and I talk about Energy the way you and I talk about 52. Pick it up. I, I, you'll love it. I'm, I'm positive that you'll love it. 
I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. And it would be a great way for me to just have that extra information going into the series and and look at that and also get the chance to experience that world's finest that you were talking about. So uh, thank you both for on my behalf and behalf of anyone who is listening who knows now that that primer is available and where to get started oh, yeah. with their understanding of it. So for people who don't know Batwoman, that's where you need to get in on the ground floor. And Seth, trust me, when you get to the moment when Kate realizes who Alice is, you're going to message me or or, or, or send me a chat <laughs> or something. You're going to say, Steve, yeah, you're right. That was really well done. So I'm looking forward to it for that reason alone. And awesome. uh, sticking with TV and things to look forward to. Um, another sneaky theme because it's not official. It's just an actor doing that wonderful thing of self-marketing. Um, the the wonderful Chika Ojiegbe has uh, tweeted out lots of things about saying uh, Titans coming soon. So excited to be blessed to be a part of this awesome show. Uh, the similarity to our, our wonderful Starfire. Could this be our Blackfire? Could this be Princess Coriander's sister Commander? And are we seeing another classic Titans villain coming to the screen? What did you make of this news, Seth? Well, I think that would be a really interesting choice for season two because we've already, I at least, have been struggling to try and keep up with everyone who's going to be joining the cast <laughs> who's already going to be in season two i love the idea of seeing blackfire i really enjoyed her in uh justice league odyssey I, I really think that's been a fun story but just overall uh i think anytime when you bring in a family conflict uh you're, you're gonna have a good time right <laughs> older sister oh, we just talked about it with alice and batwoman yep absolutely exactly. And with sisters, it's as much as with brothers. There's the age difference. There's the who's the one in charge, who listens to who, and how that that sort of leverage is used between siblings. Not only that, but we have a really interesting Corey who doesn't know who she is, who's only beginning to understand. Having her sister show up during a time when she's discovering her identity would be a great way to just sort of put this character through a lot of different challenges to push them and maybe reveal some really great moments for the viewer. So I love the idea of this for the challenge it can create for the character of Corey. Um, the speculation part it's an interesting uh, approach because we've seen it work so well with projects like Deadpool and others where it's like, hey, you get the fan interest going. And a lot of times you can cause casting directors, uh, you know, to look at somebody who they might not have considered or recognize when there's enough fan interest that you say, hey, this is just going to be a great thing for our fans. Let's let's look at it from that point of view. What, what was your take off of this, Steve? I love the way you could read my mindset. That's that's nice to the <laughs> because exactly that the whole sibling thing we've just talked about it with batwoman and, and alice but it, it's a tale as old as time i mean just in dc comics alone you've got uh, aquaman and ocean master but going all the way back to prehistory and romulus and remus and the founding <laughs> of rome that sibling rivalry thing it's timeless it's classic it's never ending but i want to touch on something you said about 
this is a starfire who's still finding out who she is and looking at the way these shows are made and i would defy anybody to argue with me the one thing that about the dc universe shows all of them is how meticulously planned paced and thought out they are the fact that we knew she was an alien but she was discovering it episode by episode week by week from the beginning of season one to the end i've got a feeling that as season two progresses as she becomes part of the team as her memories start to return that's when Blackfire and the whole thing about Taman will turn up and that'll be our lead into season three. I don't know. I could be completely wrong, but that's a great way of doing it. And I think that that would work nicely. Do you agree or what do you think about that? I do agree because while it was fun to watch her just sort of being a confused person this season, there has to be a trajectory of growth for her. Yes. Second season seems like a perfect time to do that. And I also feel it would be really, a really great way of continuing her storyline, much like I believe we will with Raven, at least from what I saw from some of the trailers with her getting her signature soul, soul gem. gem. Right. And and I feel that by following some of those uh, consistent storylines, Raven understanding her powers, Corey getting the chance to learn more about her identity – is going to be really important while we're getting all of these new characters and storylines that are about to be added in. And I think it could be helpful because even from the teaser images we saw a few weeks back where it was just uh, Cal and um, Beast Boy hanging out, there's a chance that we might get the team to break up in these groups. And I really love the idea of seeing Corey and Raven on a journey together both of them discovering things about each other. But in this way, uh, Corey is getting help from Raven to understand her past, much like Raven got help from Corey last season. So uh, this would be a really great move. It's a it's a natural direction, I think, for the story to go in. So I think you've really keyed up on a, a really great opportunity that if we're reading the directors right, this is something we can really anticipate building to this revelation of a second tomorrow classic slow burn absolutely agreed and another massive piece of news for titans that uh we've got uh some rumors and speculation which we often talk about that have actually proven to be true with michael mosley playing dr light and we talk about 52 a lot but one of the series that led to that is the classic identity crisis and the revelations about dr light and that that brilliant way of having characters who were harmless clowns in more innocent years uh, be murderous, evil, true villains of today, and the reason why they went from one aspect to another, and having someone like Doctor Lights in live action in Titans both terrifies and excites me because of what could possibly come with him what did you think about this piece of news mate uh, i have flashbacks of identity crisis when i hear the name dr light um for yes. so long he was that sort of bumbling villain he had potential but he lacked all the refinement that the modern hero dr light uh, a young woman who i really thought sort of embraced all of the balance and the grace of light and and by comparison, the evil Dr. Light was was comedic 
And I, I really, I, I know that there is something about that that can be used during his portrayal in Titans, but how it's going to be cast and how it's going to, you know, actually play out. There's so much possibility that it, it's, it's really tough to, to take this without going, could they go that dark or will they stay light? This has been a dark show. Oh, man. I mean, you know, you can really push well, up against some really rough material here. Uh, what what was your take? Because uh, I know based on both of our experiences with Identity Crisis and everything that, it you know, sort of set in motion, you know, Dr. Light's story and everything that, that sort of, you know, led to how he came from being a, a, a serious villain to a less than serious villain changed the way heroes and villains uh, played by or obeyed what had been a set sort of rules. I couldn't agree more. And one of the things I love about DC is the way that certain writers can tie up and marry those quirky, fun, innocent, golden age tales with a gritty, dark, urban terror of comics of today and turn them into one cohesive whole and that whole way they explained that light was brainwashed by the justice league so often that he literally became a bumbling clown because his mind was half gone just terrified me because that takes a step from being heroes into doing something dark because that is a form of violation wiping someone's memories and and, and their very identity is a violation yes he's a villain yes he's evil yes he should be locked up but is that going a step too far when you're stealing someone's very memories from them and i don't know if you read uh, the current run of teen titans by uh, adam glass who's doing some amazing things with that show um it seems like bringing dr light into the teen titans or titans tv show and having adam glass revisit that concept with something that robin and one of his teammates, Jin, are doing to some of the DC villains in the pages of Teen Titans right now, totally brought me back to Identity Crisis. And like you said, I cannot now think of Dr. Light without thinking of Identity Crisis. And like you said, Titans isn't your average superhero show. This is not the CW. It's about as far away from it as you can get. Um, just means to me that they're taking some risks they're doing something different and more power to them. That that's the way I see it. Yeah, I I I had those same echoes when I was reading Teen Titans and I saw what, what Damien and Jen are doing. Mm-hmm. And as soon as they did, it was just like, Oh man, really? this is exactly what the Justice League did, except now the kids are doing it. And you know what I remember about Identity Crisis when they did Dr. Light? I specifically remember in those those two or three panels that they used to break it down. It's characters like Flash and others sort of walking away yeah. because they don't want to be involved in what's going to happen next. And it's I believe it's Hawkman saying, well, what if we made him simpler? And yeah. someone else refers to it as a lobotomy. And yeah. that's a word I never forgot. And the idea of of any character, hero or villain, lobotomizing, like limiting the intelligence of another human being, it, it's it's really uh, a horrifying concept. And uh, to think that it was heroes doing that, and that's how things were kept simpler, as it's later pointed out um, 
I think really importantly, you know, how did we keep things simple? Well, we worked at it. Okay. We did things that you don't like to think about or talk about and there's consequences. So yeah, I really feel that they're, they're playing with a very loaded weapon here and how they choose to discharge and where they choose to aim it when they do can really set a tone for everything that, that follows. Um, could be a really huge development or it, it could be another slow burn where we see a bumbling doctor light and then later see him as a you know very malevolent i'm really curious to see how this ends up playing out but knowing what you and i have both just talked about <laughs> plus the fact that they've got a stellar actor again i'm not quite convinced about the age gap but a, a wonderful actor in ian glenn playing batman in titans now and we know from identity crisis that it's not just dr light and villains that the jla um mind wiped or or, or erased memories from they actually did it to batman himself when he found them doing it how's batman gonna react to that and again in the pages of the teen titans comic um it's his son doing to villains what the justice league did to him and that's what led to the whole creation of OMAC and Brother Eye and Batman having contingency plans to take out his very own teammates because he no longer trusted them. So there's so many ways that he could go forward. Like you said, it could be a great big all-out battle from the start or it could be a slow burn. Either way, I want to watch it. Oh, yeah. Uh, if if only because now I have Namtab pots in my head. Mm-hmm. And, and, yes. and you know what I mean? Like it, once you once you've seen that and it creates this haunting image of, you know, you've done something to someone that you should not do things to. <laughs> Ooh, yes. And oh, he yeah. Points out nice. what he does. Wonderful. Exactly. Thank and, you. That was- oh, thank you. Thank you. Because it's great to speak to someone who's also read these classics and uh, people again out there. Uh, Identity crisis. If you want a comic book story that will literally Blow your mind, that's one that's highly recommended. And on that note, news and talking about comic books, we'll come back with uh, the latest from the actual source material right after this second piece of vital information that'll help us from being left out in the cold. We'll be right back. This is Seth Singleton from DC Comics News, here to tell you about the spinner rack. Each and every week, DC Comics publishes so many great books, it can be hard to decide where to invest your time and money. And that's where the Spinner Rack comes in. The Spinner Rack is my honest attempt to rate, review, score the top five books from DC Comics each and every week. How can you listen? It's easy. All you have to do is go to your favorite platform, subscribe to DC Comics News Podcasts, and wait for the new episode to load up. Join me each and every week as I sift through the best from DC Comics and pick my top five books. Can't wait to share them with you and to hear your scores when you share them with us right here on the DC Comics News Podcast. And we have returned. So, Seth, let's uh, talk about the stuff that started it all, the comics. And a little bit of sad news, but... Some good news coming out of it as well. The wonderful G. Willow Wilson will be leaving uh, Wonder Woman. But uh, Steve Orlando, who's already 
given us some great entertainment with Justice League Power Rangers, amongst so many others, will be taking the book over. How did you uh, take this news, my friend? One of those things where you realize when a creator has a great opportunity to move on and the only thing holding them back is your own nostalgia. Um, that, that sense of, but, but I, I want to keep what I have. And while that's a great thing for each of us personally in a selfish way, it doesn't allow that thing we love to grow. Right. Um, if, if you have any, young children in your life whether they're children of your own or nieces and nephews you you want to give them those opportunities to step out to do more and if you see someone who's got a great creative spirit and talent and they've been able to masterfully do something but it's not the thing that they want to do and there's an opportunity for them to tell a story that they've been working for the opportunity to tell well then i only want to wish them the most success especially because of everything that I've had the chance to experience from Wonder Woman. This is a gorgeous title. Uh, the way it has addressed issues, uh, whether it's about gender identity, whether it's about the nature of love and jealousy, uh, concepts about mothers and daughters, responsibility. Wonder Woman has addressed so many of them and with such an earnest heart and I love any writer who's willing to vulnerably bring that to a page and, and make themselves as vulnerable as the characters they're writing that I can only say you've given us such great gifts. We should be thankful for your gifts. We should welcome the opportunity for you to go on and do more and be just as excited as you are about this new project. And also know that, just like we were talking about with Legends of Tomorrow, what's my hope when it comes to Ray and Nora? The, the possibility of them coming back, even just in guest appearances. And the idea that when you leave on great terms, the door's always open. So I really am encouraged for uh, G. Willow Wilson because of what I've seen from so many creators. I'm just going to go on a side tangent here. If you've not followed Humanoids, um, a new comic oh, line that's yeah. been coming out from Mark Wade. And what he's been doing with the Ignited story and talking about school shootings and what happens if kids had powers and did something. That's an idea that I believe Mark Wade has been waiting for. And he's such a gifted writer that I want him to succeed in that project. That when it comes to looking at someone like G. Willow Wilson, it, no matter where it falls on that scale, if this is a passion project and she can show me something that I've really been yearning for in comics, but I didn't recognize until she showed it to me. I really want her to do that project. And I know Steve Orlando, who's done such amazing work already and shown us all of the things he's capable of, is going to honor what she's already done and follow through with, as she puts it, a, uh, a storyline that's going to knock our socks off. So it, it's it's a little heartbreaking to think about, you know, losing all of the things that she's brought to Wonder Woman, but knowing who's taking her place knowing the respect they have for and also knowing what she is going to be showing us soon with her own private project. It, it's a it's a heartfelt sort of sadness, but it's one also sort of uh, brightened by promise. Um, what was your take, Steve? Here, here. Totally, totally agree. I mean, I got excited when I heard that G. Willow Wilson was coming on board to write Wonder Woman in the first place. So while I am very sad to see her moving on, when you hear 
a writer of her caliber saying that she's doing it because she's going to be working on a bucket list dream project her own words that has got to get you excited because she's moving on from one of the biggest characters biggest titles in dc to write something that's a bucket list dream project so this is a writer who we know can deliver with one of the greatest characters doing something that's actually one of her dream projects something she really wants to do so yes she's leaving wonder woman but she's moving on to something that's exciting her possibly even more and like you said steve orlando's written a few issues of wonder woman i mean he's written about four or five actually the article uh yeah about five five or six uh, issues already um of wonder woman in the last couple of years since the rebirth so great pedigree again he's written for dc for many years he's done some great stuff including wonder woman like i said the aforementioned justice league power rangers so while uh, we're losing a great writer we're gaining a great writer and the writer that's moving on is going to be doing wonderful things with something she loves so bring it on as long as we still keep getting wonder woman comics so there were a few years where we didn't and she'd only appear in justice league or as a guest uh, character so as long as we keep getting Wonder Woman comics every single month, then yeah, I'm still happy with that. Absolutely. Um, and the next comic item, uh, Shazam has been pushed back again. I don't want to talk about it. So let's talk about the fact that, oh, look, Young Justice has been pushed back again. Um, now, Young Justice has been pushed back five weeks, uh, but that's a Brian Bendis book. So, what do you think's actually happening? Is it because these writers are maybe appearing on talk shows too much? They've got too many um, things going on outside of the comics books. What's your take on this whole thing where yet another title, which ended on a horrific cliffhanger that's making me pull um, all my hair out. What did you make of this? <laughs> I'm, I'm really, I'm really hoping that it's about doing the best to align whatever timing issues might have gotten uh, put into a bit of a kink with the first pushback. I, I feel that there have to be, that there has to be a consideration of stories that were also in the process, because this isn't the only story that's, you know, we've got Shazam pushback. We've got young justice pushback. Maybe, maybe it was a talk show thing. Maybe it has more to do with the timing that's going on with Doomsday Clock and, and how that was supposed to tie into elements that were also going on with Bendis and Legion yes. or with uh, the fact that from what we've seen from solicitations, we're going to have, um, oh, goodness, her name is right there on the tip of my tongue, going to be joining Young Justice. Um, really great new character breakout from Naomi. wonder comics naomi thank you i was like yeah. if i keep talking about her it's gonna come to me i can see the covers and all so i feel like maybe there was supposed to be an originally planned process for all of this but once the pushbacks occurred and then there's other engines charging along like the year the villain storyline has to have you know threads that would also have connected in certain ways to these other issues that we can't maybe consider or were aware of that now has to also be sort of rethought. But I think this is something that was going to eventually happen with the continued pushback from Shazam, because I feel that 
with any storyline that the further it gets pushed back so does all the planning that might have occurred with having that character interact with other elements of the dc universe but i i also feel like maybe this has a little bit to do with other things that brian bendis is working on and i'm hoping that this choice is about making things line up so that when it does all happen all of the pieces connect in a way that doesn't feel disjointed because right now with cliffhangers with uncertainties they do feel disjointed and in order to bring about a form of resolution you have to actually start changing not only what you originally planned but keep changing it with the way these titles are getting pushed back I'm also kind of stunned that that the same thing's happening now with high level. Um, you know, <laughs> what's your take on this, Steve? Uh, you know, yeah. wh- which one's really, you know, bugging your brain the most? Or, or which one are you just sort of going, I think I get it, or I don't get it at all? Um, obviously, you know that uh, I read all three of these books. I read Shazam. I read Doomsday Clock. I read Young Justice. Um, Young Justice because that was a, a part of my uh, younger years that I loved. And I, I love the whole team of, of Connor and Tim and having them all back just, just makes me happy. But Doomsday Clock because it's just one of the best comics that's out. But it, it had, like you quite rightly said, um, been touted from the very beginning as having long-lasting repercussions throughout the dc universe and it was meant to end um at a point where the rest of the dc universe had caught up with it so it was like a a year ahead in terms of continuity but because it's almost a year out now because it was due to end of october of, of 2018 and it looks like it's doubtful it'll end october of 2019 year of the villain and so much other stuff has had to come up and and heroes in crisis to uh fill the gap and but it's had a knock-on effect where other titles are being delayed too and it's just typical that it's three of the books that i love and that they've all ended on really painful cliffhangers and brad says this brilliantly every week bless him that it just steals the momentum uh, and it makes people move on lose interest and pick other things up and thankfully this this gap well at the moment it's just a five-week delay but the issues following it still seem to be on track so it's annoying it's frustrating but what are you going to do i mean at least one thing i can say about dc comics which i love is that while there's loose continuity it's not like a certain other comics company where everything's so tight that every book you read's got a caption saying this happened in this issue with this character at this point and you don't have that with DC. You can pick up a DC book and not worry about what else is going on. You can read Batman and Detective Comics as completely different issues until they tie in and they tell you this story fits in here. It's not that complete thing where you've got to pick up every book. So it's annoying, but it could be worse. So that that that's all I can really say on the subject. I mean, would you do you agree with that? I do. You know, it. I mean, the biggest thing to go back to is what Brad was saying about momentum, because I know it's yeah. something I've echoed on a few occasions when we've been, you know, discussing what happens when there's a delay. Um, and it's like, you know, Flash running up against the Still Force. It just sucks the life. It, it just yeah. <laughs> pulls it all away. 
And then afterwards, you're like, is he going to run again? Because mm-hmm. he looks kind of shriveled up. And, you know, that's not really what I put my hope in, you know, the shriveled up guy. And, I mean, Shazam at this point, I mean, how many people remember who he is? Honestly, some people have actually forgotten that there was a Shazam comic, let alone that there was, you know, a cliffhanger with, you know, Black Adam coming along and, you know, Shadowlands and some really fun ideas. Um I'm I'm frustrated. I love the idea of what was happening with Young Justice because we were getting to see them sort of like, you know, find their way or experience these fun little adventures, you know. I mean, <laughs> you know, getting so, to see them in yeah. the uh, in the most recent universe and and having an okay experience with them hanging out with the gang from Kingdom Come and and you know, sort of, you know, getting a kick out of that what was next was going to be so much more potentially enjoyable. Um, So having all these things left for us to wait for, we have to remember that those are the reasons that we're waiting. Otherwise we're not going to want to keep waiting any longer. And I think that's something DC really needs to keep in mind. Even for great creators, uh, the danger is there's, you know, people like uh, Miss Wilson about to start off on her own project. If her new project comes out, before one of these other ones, I mean, it's easy to forget something that you were waiting on when something new comes along that, you know, captivates your attention that way. So, yes, Steve, I'm going to have to agree with you wholeheartedly. Unfortunately, this is a situation that they're going to have to fix the right way or it won't be a fix. It'll just be a bad patch job that, you know, that was an ending. And that's I mean, that. Yeah, totally, totally. That. I mean, I don't, I mean if, if you read Young Justice, there's also that that thing where uh Brian Bennett has been teasing for months and months and months the new costume and new identity for Tim Drake he's not going to be Red Robin or Robin anymore and now we've actually seen a costume which looks like it's got brown leather as part of it there's like a complete shift of character and now we have to wait longer for it but that's just something we've got to put up with obviously like you said you, you touched on it briefly that it's not just Shazam and Young Justice also high level issue six has been pushed back and that's actually um a book I haven't started reading as yet. Uh, is it a, sh- a title you're up to date on and reading? How's the delay on issue six affecting the story? If you are, well, it's really man. Okay, I have been reading it. It's actually when I featured on the Spinner Rack a couple of times because mm-hmm. early on, the first couple of issues, they were doing some really fun stuff and the discovery about who the uh, you know the young girl character was and needs to be saved and how she's this very gifted you know, uh, potential unifying figure, a promised one sort of idea, but completely, um, just completely natural, uses her gifts in a way that's uh, so intuitive that she can't explain who or what she is. But so many people uh, above seem to be aware and looking for her and wanting to either stop her. And it, it really plays with this, dystopian future social commentary there's been a couple of great ideas you know sort of digs about countries that would wall themselves off in the future in order to avoid coming tragedies and how the walls kept them in but also this idea of high level being this place that people want to get to and yet when you see descriptions of it high level is a place where your identity is based on what kind of a worker you are and how committed you are to the overall goal and how it seems to be something like maybe a pyramid scheme, something built upon itself to to support itself. 
and how they can get to that ending and come to a solution that says like, wow, you know, we've took all these ideas and we've, we boiled them down to this finale uh, is really, you know, something I've been looking forward to and to stop me there and say, no, no, not yet. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it really does. Plus there was a big cliffhanger in the last one where what seems like a potential ally, uh, of course, is a betrayer, but for reasons that, you know, are completely unclear because of how their story has been set up. And also a, a few other characters, their futures are put in jeopardy and how it's going to play out is something that now I have to wait even longer to find out. So for anyone else who's with me and have been enjoying the journey of high level, I'm with you. I'm hoping I'm waiting. And I just want to see 13 and Minnow, you know, finish their stories because what they're capable of doing and what this could say through all the things it's been doing with social commentary could be really important if it gets to us in time. And that's yeah. the big part. That's the yeah. big question. I mean, see, we, we often talk about that, that I um, in, inflict several new titles on people's consciousnesses, but that description right there uh, and all your recommendations every week on the spinner rack have got me excited about books that I haven't been reading. And I picked up, particularly Lois Slane and Jimmy Olsen on your recommendations on the spinner rack. And I'm loving those books. So I'm so happy to hear that, man. (laughs) Now I have to pick up a high level as well. You, you wonderful human being you. So, so thanks for that one. Cause that sounds great, but that another cliffhanger and another delay really, really. It's frustrating. And for a high level, I'm just going to be honest with you Four wasn't one of my favorite, but I mean, out of the five books that have come out, I mean, four out of five to be that yeah. solid, you know, not not too shabby. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts after you've picked it up and, and get caught up on that one. I, I'd like to hear what you think about it, too. And really glad that. Uh, what's that? <laughs> I think I might have to now. You, you done yeah. It so we're, we're even, brother. Now we've okay. both uh, made, made ourselves. But I'll, I'll probably thank you for it because <laughs> I don't know if it's just me, but right now DC are on fire. I don't think that there's a book that that i collect or that i read regularly obviously i am um in in air quotes have to read a lot of these because my writers at dark Knight news review them but honestly i love reading them because they're just absolutely brilliant and i've got three comic book reviews and a tv show to review this week and my wife says oh just delegate give them someone else no i don't want to <laughs> i want to read and review these nope 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 i don't want to so uh having one more added more the merrier more fun right glad to hear and i'm really glad that you picked up lois lane and jimmy olsen uh those those books those are some really fun stories to enjoy i'm glad to hear you get no absolutely i i I love spinner rack and um what what we do here is 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 five star isn't it yes sir uh (laughs) anyone to argue with us absolutely five star and speaking of five star our final piece of news today we're going to move on to video game news and the fact that uh, a certain clown prince of crime who's getting his own film and possible sequel that we've been talking about, if anyone's actually been listening, which I'm sure everyone has, the Joker is going to be a playable character on Mortal Kombat 11. Seth, finish him! Fight! <laughs> finish him. Um, I don't play mortal Kombat. now I, I remember playing it a few times when it was in the arcades 
I, I'm really amazed with the different characters that, you know, they've been able to begin updating and adding to this. And adding the Joker was something that I found to be a really interesting twist, especially because, I don't know about you, Steve, but he didn't look like any specific Joker that I recognize. No. He, yes. was a, he was a composite of different pieces of Jokers. And that was actually a challenge for me because later when I see a, a clearly older Arnold Schwarzenegger Terminator who looks like the version that's going to be appearing in the new film, I thought, well, can't we just take one Joker like this from any of the film properties and use it in this game? Or does it have to be this sort of generic composite? And especially with the details with Terminator and then Spawn. Where I was like, well, come on. Even Spawn looks pretty spot on for Spawn. Why can't I have a more a more directly relatable Joker instead of something that doesn't feel authentic? Um, and I wanted to like it. And the more I looked at it after looking at the trailer once or twice, the more I struggled with, with this problem. Steve, am I alone on this one or are you with me? Uh, completely with you. <laughs> completely and utterly. Because as you said... He's got green hair, he's got the red lips and the purple suit, but is this the Joker when he was 12? Um, what's going on? So while I'm excited of seeing more Batman characters in wider media, um, this isn't the Joker I know. Um, why is he in a fighting game for a start? He's never been known as a pugilist or martial artist. Um, is this a Elseworlds Joker who's a martial artist because uh, looking at the physique and the way he fights that's exactly what we're getting but in a Joker suit with a Joker makeup so yeah this is another one where um, I'm got mixed emotions because yep Joker great but uh, Joker really <laughs> that's the only yeah. way I can look at this <laughs> is, is it the Joker um, so I'll give it the benefit of the doubt. I'm not a big video game player, but uh, living in a house with a 24-year-old young man who is, um, maybe he'll just say to me, yeah, uh, this is great, Dad. Or he'll just say, no, Dad, what the heck? What? Hey, pardon? Sorry, what? That's not what are they doing? So yeah, you just never know <laughs> until you try. Agreed. Yeah, um, maybe he uses the cane and a gun, or I, I, I don't really. Or, or an acid squirting flower, or <laughs> gas. I mean, I don't know, but he does not look like any Joker I've ever seen before. So, wholeheartedly agree with you, my friend. So, yeah, mixed, mixed feelings on that one for sure. That's the only way I can actually describe that. Yeah, so, well, after the, the stories about the comic books and leading into this, uh, you know, it's kind of a mixed feeling feeling at the end. <laughs> I mean, it, it could be worse. We're seeing some DC characters crossing over into video games that are, aren't DC based. So I can't really argue with that. Anything that uh, brings me into the spotlight. But like you said, this is, is this a character we know at all? But what can I tell you? What can I tell you? At least we're getting a video game. We're not getting some of our favorite comics. So. Again, I try to be glasses half full. There it is. Half full. That's all you can do. <laughs> so there we will leave another uh, episode of the DC Comics News Podcast. This is actually episode 39, not 38, despite what our new sheet is telling us. So thanks for joining us. And uh, you can join us again, not just here on this show, but across uh, the universes. Um, Seth, 
you've got your own show, the DC Comics News Spinner Rack. And where else can our listeners and readers find you, see you and learn more about you? I highly encourage you to type my name, Seth Singleton, and the word story in any search engine and find me the way you best like to interact. I've got a website, Facebook and Instagram. Each one is associated with those words and whichever is your favorite platform, find it, send me a message. And I'd love to hear from you just to hear that this is how you like to communicate. And if you want to talk more comics or anything about stories, it's the most fun conversations I generally have. How about you, Steve? Where do the people find you? Oh, um, easiest way is just again type my name steve j ray into the search engine of choice and there you will find links to of course uh, my reviews and uh, interviews on both dc comics news and our sister site dark knight news too or you can follow me on social media especially on twitter where um, i don't shut up and you can find that at l underscore steve e-l underscore s-t-e-e-v-o you can also catch DC Comics News and Dark Knight News across every platform, and that includes Tumblr, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, just by typing in at DC Comics News, capital D, capital C, capital C, and capital N for news, DC Comics News, or Dark Knight News at DKNews.com, and our wonderful podcasts every platform again apple spotify stitcher google play please rate review subscribe what you say about this show lets us know what we're doing right what we're doing wrong and how to make the show better if we possibly can i doubt it because we are the dysfunctional dynamic duo of seth and steve and thanks for listening to us this week and every week we'll be back in seven days time with a brand new episode but until then seth what do you think everyone out there should actually be doing what do they need to do from this day forward well i believe they need to read or more or comics i make you right my friend <laughs> then i make us both right and we can't be wrong now Let's go read some. See you next week, folks.